So if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to turn them to uh, about the middle of the Bible. There's a book called Proverbs that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Um, Proverbs chapter 23, if you turn them there, I'll give you a second. I'm going to read verses uh, 19 through 21. Uh, I heard there's a big game today. Um, the Detroit Red Wings are playing the Washington Capitals. I'm all excited. Go Wings! <clears throat> so, Proverbs is, called, is, is a book of wisdom. And uh, I came across these verses, chapter 23, starting in verse 19. Listen, my son, and be wise. Set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. For drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. Now why would I choose a text like that today? Well, there is a cultural event that's going on today, and maybe you're more passionate about it this year because the hawks are in it, but... Um, I was poking around a little bit uh, on some interesting Super Bowl statistics this week. I thought you may be interested in, in knowing that uh, between Domino's and Pizza Hut, they are going to deliver 29 million slices of pizza today. That's a lot of pizza, isn't it? Uh, or you might like to know that... Uh, Americans are going to munch on 11.2 million potato, pounds of potato chips today. That's 27 billion calories. 1.8 billion of those calories are from fat. 8.2 million pounds of tortilla chips. 4 million pounds of pretzels. 2.5 million pounds of nuts. Somebody's got the munchies. You like food? I love food. Um, we're going to consume 14 billion hamburgers today. Americans will guzzle down 51.7 million cases of beer. That's 325 million gallons compared to 8 million, 8 million cases of soda pop. Uh, this is the one that got me. This afternoon, Americans are going to consume 1.25 billion, that's with a B, chicken wings. 1.25 billion, you know how many chickens that is? What are they doing with the rest of it? Making it into nuggets? I'm not sure about that. Think about that, 1.25 billion wings. That, if you laid them out flat, like on a cookie sheet, it would take 1,083,333 football fields Take all of them. That's a lot of chicken wings. If you want to imagine that in a, di a different way, if you line up each chicken wing end, 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 <laughs> if I did my math right, it's 59,185 miles long. That goes around the world 2.5 times. <laughs> this afternoon, just during the game, just on snacks alone, 
Americans are going to consume 1,200 calories, 50 of them from fat. That's not including your meals. And when we flush the toilets at halftime, <laughs> if I remember right, <laughs> we're going to flush down 200 million, 200 billion, sorry, gallons of water. That's a little bit of excessive consumption, if you ask me. Super Bowl Sunday is the second uh, highest food consumption day in, in our year, second only to Thanksgiving. Oh, two more that I thought this, you know. So, 7-Eleven reports that uh, sales of Tums and Pepto-Bismol go up 20% tomorrow. <laughs> and 7 million of you are not going to make it to work in the morning. <laughs> We're talking about gluttony today. And I have to admit that when I put the series together on the seven deadly sins, it was with some intentionality that I chose gluttony for Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> you know, now so I've I'm preparing this all week long, and I'm feeling just a little guilty because the Hawks fortunately made it to the big game, and so I'm thinking, I'm going to have to throw down a sermon on gluttony today for people who have got already have the crock pots going. <clears throat> but I think, I think we understand why gluttony makes the list of the seven deadly sins. Now, some of us, we're not quite so sure what eating has to do with sinning, and so that's a little bit of what we'll unpack uh, today. Uh, maybe you're sitting out there and you're just a little bit worried. What, what's the pastor going to say about this? It makes me just a little bit. I'm a little bit nervous. Gluttony is kind of the national sin of the country. Kind of goes along with greed and lust and hand in hand. Next week we'll get to lust, so that's your, that's your warning for next week. Um, I, I've told you at the very beginning that I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. And so next week, when we talk about lust, it, it, you can use your judgment on whether you want to have your kids in here or not. Um, it will be completely appropriate, but if we're talking about lust, there, there will be some content um, that you just may need to, to use your judgment on. So that, that's your warning. I got that out of the way. I can cross that off my list. Um, gluttony. It's the national sin of the country. The world knows that Americans are consumers. The, the world recognizes that Americans are, are prone to gorging themselves with food and fuel and stuff. And at the end, we let a big old belch out. The world recognizes that. They know it about us. And based on our consumption trends, it doesn't seem like many people believe that eating too much is a sin. It doesn't even seem that many people think that eating too much is even harmful to us. I mean, nearly 70% of adult Americans are either overweight or obese. See, gluttony is one of those, <clears throat> it's one of those hard sins to discuss. See, on the one hand, God made us with taste buds. God made us to enjoy food. He, he wants us to enjoy our food. He made us that way. He created bodies that require consumption to stay alive. <clears throat> we ate a healthy breakfast this morning. But, but because we are alive, because we are humans, uh, we will consume our food, it will enter our bodies, it will nourish us, it will pass through us, and a little, in a little while, we'll be hungry again. 
In a little while, our bodies will require more food to to nourish us. So on the one hand, God made us to be hungry. God made us to consume food. We are going to be hungry again. Eating and consuming is a natural part of being a human. God provides that food for us. See, food is good. Food is awesome. Say amen. 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 See, God made food that way. And if you look at Scripture, if you, if you, if you start in Genesis, uh, the Bible starts in a garden, right? The Bible starts with food. The, the, the Bible starts with an all-you-can-eat buffet in the Garden of Eden. A- Adam and Eve had everything that they could ever imagine. Everything that they needed was right there at their fingertips. All of their needs were met. Everything that they wanted to consume was right there. God had put it there for them. And then, if you flip all the way to the end of our Bible, in Revelation, it ends with all of, all of the believers at a great wedding banquet. It begins in a garden with food and ends at a banquet. So it's a little odd. I think it's a little odd when we suggest that overeating can be a deadly sin. I mean, since food is good, you know, we minimize, we justify, we rationalize it away, we, we minimize the thought that, that, that overeating could be sin by saying, well, what's the big deal? You know, when you think about it, how sinful is it really if I eat an extra slice of pizza? How much of a sin can it actually be if I go for two helpings of dessert instead of just one? Or two trips through the buffet line instead of just one. But can go the other direction too. The one hand, food is good. God made us that way to consume, to eat, to be nourished. Uh, but it can go the other direction too. And if you look at you know, our culture, there's, there's a few characters that I think of off the top of my head. Uh, what well, one, kid's story, Winnie the Pooh. He's a glutton, right? He's always got that honey pot with him. He's always sticking his hand in the honey pot. If you watch the Pooh Bear cartoons, when they ask him, when, what do you think about when you wake up, Pooh? What does he say? He says, I think about breakfast. He's always looking for that pot of honey. I remember him eating so much that he got stuck in rabbit's hole. You remember that? Some of you, that's remembering way back. Well, then there's, uh, you remember the movie Willy Wonka? Augustus Gloop? Remember him? He's that uh, chubby kid in the movie who <clears throat> couldn't get enough of the candy, and, and uh, when, when they went into Willy Wonka's world, of the, the candy world, uh, there's the river of chocolate flowing through the middle. Well, Augustus is the one who just needs to bend down and put his face in it and lap it up, and he falls in. Right? Remember that? He's a glutton. Winnie the Pooh. We got Augustus Gloop. Well, and there's Garfield, the cat, right? He's always chasing after lasagna. You know, it's easy when we look at cartoon characters. It's easy when we see those things in a movie. It's easy to identify and point out, <laughs> look at that guy. I'm glad I'm not like that. 
See, on the one hand, we're meant to eat and enjoy. Yet on the other hand, wow, we are susceptible to letting our consumption get the best of us. When, when, when eating becomes our obsession and, and consuming becomes our passion, when, when we go well beyond what we actually need, when we consume to excess, it becomes, it becomes a form of idolatry. And, and idolatry is simply putting something in the place that God rightfully deserves to be in our life. And so when our consumption gets in the way of us worshiping God in our life and having Him at the center of who we are and what we do, that's idolatry. And that's a sin. See, when, when this, this gluttony, it gets in the way. It begins to separate us from God, and it begins to break off relationships with other people. See, when, when, when food gets in the way of us having a relationship with our Creator, and food or consumption of any kind of thing gets in our way of having healthy relationships with one another, that's when the extra slice of pizza becomes a deadly sin. There's some biblical examples that I, that I was thinking about this week. A couple of them in the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis uh, chapter 3, we talked a little bit about Adam and Eve already. They're there in the Garden of Eden. They had all that they ever needed, but God had made one request of them, right? You can have everything at your disposal, except I don't want you to eat the fruit from, from that one tree right? We know that story. You can have everything you want, except you're not allowed. I don't want you to eat. You need to discipline yourself. You need to have control over yourself, and don't eat from this particular tree. Well, what happened? What happened? Gluttony set in. Well, a lot of times we attribute that first sin to pride, but, but, uh, but I think it started in their stomach. I think it started in their eye, and they saw that fruit, and they wanted it. Maybe they got that little rumble in their stomach, and they're imagining, wow, that, whew, that looks good. I need to eat me some of that. So they did. They succumbed to that temptation, and they took the apple, and, and they ate it. And when you think about it, <clears throat> Their desire for food got them kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Their desire, their stomach was, was the start of what led them out of paradise. Flip over a few pages, you get Genesis uh, chapter 25. Two boys, two brothers, we got Jacob and we have Esau. And Esau was a, a hunting man and, and he liked to be out in the outdoors. Jacob was more of a a homebody, and, and he knew how to cook. And uh, Jacob knew that one of Esau's weaknesses was, oh, he liked the stew. Beef stew. Lentil stew, actually, I think it was. It was. But, um, so we read there in Genesis chapter 5, Esau's been out hunting, doing outdoorsy stuff all day long, and he is famished, and he comes through the front door, and he smells what Jacob is cooking. And Jacob's got a pot of stew, boiling, and he says, Jacob, 
fix me up some, give me, that, give me a bowl of that stew. And Jacob, he's cunning, he's devious. He says, uh, how about if you sell me your birthright? How, how, about if you, how about if you sign over your birthright to me and I'll give you a bowl of soup? He says, I don't want to do that. Jacob says, well, okay, no soup for you. Come back one year. Esau gave over his birthright for a bowl of stew. Then you flip over a couple books. We got Numbers chapter 11. People of Israel, they had been rescued from slavery in Egypt, and they're out in the wilderness, and they're wandering, and, and we remember God provided food for them, right? He, he, he had this stuff that showed up on the ground every morning. It was called manna. They went out and looked, at it and looked at it and said, what is it? And that's literally manna. means, what is it? So there they are, out in the wilderness. It's hot, it's dry. Their, their menu consists of manna for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. They got manna. People's stomachs started saying, that manna's not good enough. This stuff that God's providing for us, this stuff that that God is nourishing us with, well, that's not good enough. We need something different. Remember back in Egypt? You remember that meat that we had? You remember that fish? You remember those cucumbers? You remember those onions and those leeks and, those, and, and the garlic that we had there? Oh, I want some of that. All we got is manna. They tell Moses, I think we'd rather go back to Egypt. They, they'd rather go back to slavery to enjoy good food than have manna that sustains them and nourishes them out there in the desert in freedom. See, Adam and Eve, they were willing to trade paradise for a piece of fruit. Esau, he was willing to trade his birthright for a bowl of stew. The, the Israelites, the, they, they, were, they were willing to trade freedom for some fish and garlic back in slavery in Egypt. It begs the question of us, what are you willing to give up to consume more? What are you willing to give up? What am, what am I willing to give up to make my stomach happy, to satisfy my cravings, to satisfy my desires, to satisfy my longings? See, these folks, they, they became enslaved to their appetites and their desires. See, when gluttony reared its head in their lives, it dominated their thoughts, it even controlled their actions. It provoked them to do things that, that they may have done differently if they had just sat down and thought about it. I mean, you, you may or may not have had this experience, but once in a while, I'll be at home, I'll be reading or doing something, and my stomach rumbles just a little bit. And I get this idea that I need a snack. And it's there, and, you know, I'll, I'll 
walk over here and I'll open the cupboard and I'll stare at it. And nothing looks good. So I close that one and I open the next one. Oh, and then, you know, you open the fridge and the light comes on and illuminates everything that's in there, but, you know, nothing looks really interesting. There's no cheese in the drawer or, you know, whatever I'm looking for. You go to the pantry and you look around and there's nothing there. So, you, you know, <clears throat> okay, I, I really don't need anything. You go sit down. Stomach's still gnawing at you. Your stomach's talking to your brain, and your brain is now telling you, I need some food now. So you go and you, do, you go through the same pageantry. Are you different than I am? The craving starts to control your actions. It gets inside. It's like a, one of those songs that is called an earworm that just gets stuck there and it plays over and over and over again. When your stomach starts talking to you, it's like one of those earworms. You can't get it out until you go play the song, right? You can't get rid of the craving until you go find a snack and you find something to eat. See, these people allowed gluttony to, to put their desires up on the altar in their heart. Their, their, their hearts were filled with, with want. Their, their hearts were filled with stuff, and it was, it was, it was disguised as need. I need that piece of fruit. I need that bowl of stew. I need that fish and leek and onion, whatever it is in Egypt. I can't stop until I get there. I, I need it. It's no longer just a want. So they bowed down to their desires. They became slaves to their desires. And, and Paul warned the Philippian church about this. And in Philippians chapter 3, there in, in about verse 19, I think it is, he, he says that um, those who are slaves to their desires will find destruction because their God is their stomach. In other words, th their cravings are going to lead them away from God. They're going to ignore the cross of Jesus. And they were it's ultimately going to end in, in destruction. Gluttony puts you in control and removes God from that position of control in your life. You start to depend on yourself instead of depending on God. See, the, word, the word gluttony, uh, it comes from the Latin word uh, gluteo, which means to gulp down. It means to shove it in. It means to cram it in. It suggests eating fast without any kind of enjoyment. Gluttony is the inordinate desire to consume more than we need. To take and use more than our fair share. See, gluttony is eating past the point of healthy nourishment. Gluttony is consuming past the point of what we actually need to live. There's some more interesting data that I came across this week. Uh, sugar consumption in the United States, 300 years ago, the average uh, person consumed four pounds of sugar a year. Uh, this year, that has skyrocketed. The average American now consumes over 150 pounds of sugar 
on an annual basis. I didn't want to spend the money on it, so that's why I didn't put up a display this morning, but I wanted to go to Walmart and buy 15 10-pound packages of sugar. They would line pretty much from here all the way over to the corner of the stage. Sugar consumption in the United States is out of control. The National Soft Drink Association says that the average person will consume 600 12-ounce servings of soda pop this year. I know I'm way under that, so some of y'all are way above it to make out that average of 600. Uh, Ryan Andrews, he, uh, he wrote an article in Relevant Magazine, and this one, I'm glad you're sitting down, is blew my mind. He wrote that the average American in their lifetime will consume 21,000 animals. Did you get that? The average American is going to consume 21,000 animals in their life. That's not including fish or marine life. So that plate of 15 shrimp, that doesn't count in that. We each generate 189 pounds of food waste a year, 183 pounds of plastic trash, 570 pounds of paper trash. And in 2012, according to the U.S. Energy Research Department, Americans consumed 133 billion gallons of gas. Is all of this necessary? Do you think maybe our culture, maybe some of us, have consumed past the point of actual need and we're in that category of excess? That's the question before us. It's not designed to slap any of us around or make us feel badly. I just want to ask a question. Put that mirror up right in front of my face. I have a vehicle that gets 15 or 16 miles to the gallon. Is that necessary? Those are the kinds of questions that when I think about gluttony that I get to. Gluttonous tendencies, well, you know, they're taught to us fairly young. Do you, you, your parents... Maybe some of you here have said these words. Um, you need to clean your plate before you get down from the table. But mom, I'm not hungry anymore. Well, we clean our plates because there's starving kids in Africa. You ever heard that? We're taught to get our money's worth, right? If you pay for something, if, if I'm going to pay $10 to go through a buffet... <laughs> I'm getting my $10 worth. doesn't matter if I'm hungry or not. I'm going back for triples on steak. Or maybe you've heard this one. We're taught to get the best value. Right? So you go into a fast food restaurant, many other places. That's why a lot of people shop at Costco because we think we're getting the best value. doesn't matter if we don't need all of the excess, it'll look good on our pantry. Save it for a rainy day. There's plenty of them around here. <laughs> you go into fast food and what do they ask you? Hey, the best value, you want to supersize it? You want to go large on that one? And we say yes because we, you know, 
we have to pay the best price. We have to get the best value, so let's go large. We might as well do that. I don't think we're shocked by gluttony. That's probably part of the problem. It's one of the reasons that this particular sin can be so deadly. We, we've really grown immune to its influence. I mean, look at how things have changed over the last 30 years. I mean, our packaging is continually getting larger and larger and larger. 30 years ago, maybe not even quite 30 years ago, when you went into a fast food restaurant and you ordered a large drink, it was probably about 16 ounces. If you go into a fast food restaurant now, a small is 16 ounces. And it goes from there. The packaging on, on pop has gone from, you know, uh, 8-ounce bottles to 12-ounce cans. And then, you know, we had 16-ounce bottles and 20-ounce bottles and 24. And now they're just getting out of control. It's been drilled into our heads that more has got to be better. If, if one bag of jelly beans is good, two's got to be better. Amen. If a handful of Pringles is good, eating the whole can has got to be better. If one Krispy Kreme donut is good, I might as well get the whole dozen. I can save it for later. If a 1,500-square-foot house will do, a 3,500-square-foot house has got to be better. But eventually, 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 the law of diminishing returns is going to kick in, and eventually the pleasure that we experience in some of these things is going to turn into pain. We didn't eat out very often when I was a kid. But when we did, one of the places that we went was a place called Bonanza. It was an all-you-can-eat buffet. It had chopped steak that was delicious, baked potatoes, and, you know, as an 11-year-old kid, you know, your eyes just get huge when you walk in and you see all the food that is prepared. And they hand you an empty plate and say, go get it. Yes! Well, I, I like steak sauce, A1. And I remember one time, I don't know exactly how old I was, but I think I put, we didn't have A1 steak sauce at our house. And so um, I put A1 steak sauce on everything. Baked potato, <laughs> oh yes, that's good stuff right there. I remember leaving with the biggest gut ache of my life. You know, the first five bites was delicious. A slice of heaven. But then, it, you know, that pleasure starts to wear off. Diminishing returns. And eventually it turned into pain. Gluttony is excessive. It's out of control. We've, con we've convinced ourselves that, that we need all this stuff. We've convinced ourselves that we deserve all this stuff. We're consuming it, and it is consuming us. And that's the deadly nature of sin. But it's not just about, it's not just about eating too much. Uh, it, 
gluttony is not synonymous with obesity. Gluttony is a behavior. It's not a body size. There are many reasons why people carry extra weight outside of eating too much. So you can't say that, that the, the end result of gluttony is going to be a person who is large and, and overweight. See, because uh, dieting is also a form of gluttony. Uh, many people think that dieting is the way out of gluttony, but it's quite the contrary. Dieting is a, is a form of gluttony. It's as much of an obsession for some people as eating is for others. ABC News reports that there are 100 million people that claim to be on a diet in the country. It's a $20 billion industry. See, dieting is, is, is as big a, a problem as is overindulging. See, our, our society values thinness. You look at the advertisements, you see a bunch of thin people. And, and, and we look at those things and and we jump ahead of ourselves. We lust after things like that. Oh, I wish I could look like that. I wish I had 3% body fat and, and my abs could be ripped like that. Wow. We buy into that. That's as much gluttony as is the cheeseburger. Granted, some of us need to just put the cheeseburger down. Others of us need to recognize that dieting is as big an obsession, one that starts to control us, and, and, and we start to, to, to imagine ourselves looking that thin, and, and that becomes our goal and our end. And, and that can replace God on the throne in our life as much as all the stuff that we consume. So gluttony is not, it's not just overeating, it, it's not just dieting, it's Gluttony is not just our actions. Gluttony is also our thoughts. When, when we think about what we're going to eat, when, when we think about how we're going to do it, where we're, we're going to go, what it's going to smell like, what topping am I going to put on it, how many scoops of ice cream am I going to have, how am I going to have my steak cooked? When those are the thoughts that are going through our mind all day long, that's gluttony too. I'm not talking about regular meal planning and grocery shopping. That, that's not what I'm talking about here. But when your thoughts consistently turn to the food and the stuff that you're going to consume, that's, that's gluttony. So what makes, what makes it a sin? I mean, really... Well, what makes it a sin over just bad behavior? Well, three things that, that I thought of. Uh, one, gluttony is the sin of feeding our faces while starving our souls in the process. Gluttony is, becomes a sin when we fill the void that we experience in our life with consumption or obsessive dieting. It's misplacing the desire in our life. We have a craving for God, but we don't recognize that, so we fill it with food or stuff. Self-indulgence is the enemy of gratitude. Uh, Frederick Buechner said it this way. He says, A glutton is one who runs to the icebox to cure a spiritual malnutrition. 
Second thing, gluttony is the sin of excessive consumption that deprives somebody else of something. See, the blind spot in our overindulgence is that there's a cost to that. There's a cost to us consuming, and, and yes, our indulgence will some, at some point turn to pain in our life. We may grow wider. Uh, we may uh, experience um, a sadness, a, a depression, because our dieting efforts aren't matching up with the picture that we're trying to hold of ourselves. That, that, that's, that's one cost of gluttony. But at what expense are we Americans consuming stuff that puts our neighbors in a place of need, in a place of want? The blind spot is that for everything that we overconsume, it's taking it away from somebody else. Gluttons devour more, leaving others with less. And gluttony separates us from God separates us from others, separates us from God. See, God made us as empty vessels. He breathed into us the breath of life. And when He breathed the breath of life into us, we became living beings. From a pile of dirt to a living being. And when He breathed into us and we became a living being, in the Hebrew, we became a nephesh. You know what the root word for nephesh is? It's throat. God breathed through our throat the breath of life. When we consume, for us to remain alive, everything that nurtures life has to pass through our throat. Water, food, air. God breathed it into us, giving us the breath of life. Gluttony is abusing that, shoving down more than we need. God took the initial initiative to fill us with life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He is all the nourishment that we need. Food is a good gift from God. And as I've been thinking and, and praying this week about, you know, how, how could we have a good conversation about gluttony in our life? What would it look like? Here's what I wanted us to consider. I wanted you to think about your cravings. The Greek word for cravings is epipotheo, which means to long for, to yearn for to desire, to pursue with, with love. Well, what do you crave? Is it food? Is it stuff? Desires for comfort food? For good food? Or, or do you crave God's Word? Do you, do you crave eating this book? Do you crave quiet time? with God. If you compare those two cravings, which one's going to win out? If you had to walk around with a sheet of paper this week, and every time you craved food,
food or thought about food, you put a mark on one side of the car, and every time you really craved just dropping everything you're doing and spending time in the Word or in prayer with God, which side of the card would have more marks? What do you crave? Do you spend more time thinking about what you're going to eat, how you're going to eat it, when you're going to eat it, and how much of it you're going to enjoy? Do you think about those things more than you think about God's Word? Consider your time. Do you spend more time eating physical food versus spiritual food? I mean, if you think about it, you document it. How much time do you spend in food-related activity in your week? If you put that on one ledger and your time in the Word on the other side, which one's longer? What do you crave? See, there's a, there's a way out of the sin of gluttony. There's freedom from the sin. The author of Hebrews tells us to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. Paul says to the people in Galatia, he says, you were called to be free. The, the first step towards freedom is to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ. That's step number one. And my prayer is that in this church, in this people, you will find a place to experience that freedom, to practice dumping off these sins that tangle us and pull us under. But my prayer is that, that this is a place where we don't judge each other about the things that we are individually working on. That this is a place where you can feel the love and the presence of Jesus. A place where you can learn how to throw off the sins that take us down. If you go back to our text this morning, verse 19. Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Set your heart on the right path. The way out of gluttony is to practice self-control. The way out of gluttony is to turn it over to God and allow Him to strengthen us and help us in practicing self-control. It's learning how to control our emotions and our behaviors and our longings and our desires and turning our cravings from, from material, physical nourishment to spiritual nourishment. So, you know, a couple practical things. To set your heart on the right path. First of all, if, if eating's a problem for you, avoid fast food. Eat smaller meals more frequently. Drink more water. Eat more vegetables. Practice saying no. Maybe it's not eating. Maybe it's other stuff. But when, when you're tempted to consume something or you have a craving or a longing, a, a, ask yourself some questions that help you delay your decision or delay your binge. Do I really need this? Will I feel better after consuming this? Is it healthy? If I consume this, what are, what are the consequences? And spend time in prayer. Spend time in the Word. This is a buffet. It's all you can eat. 
This is a buffet that's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's like a cruise ship. It's all you can eat all the time. Today, I just want to encourage you to practice the discipline of fasting. Have you ever done a fast? Some have, some haven't. Fasting doesn't always have the greatest uh, name or popularity, but, and, and that's okay. If you think about it this way, fasting is helping us realign our cravings to God. Maybe you start off fasting a meal. You have a decent breakfast and you fast through lunch hour until dinner. Or, or, or maybe after you've done that, you, you eat breakfast and then you fast a lunch and a dinner and the next meal you have is the next day's lunch or breakfast. You can start lengthening it out. But what happens in a fast is that, is that you get hungry because this, our, our bodies need that nourishment. But my guess is that most of us, if we did that ledger experiment, food craving, spiritual craving, my guess is it's not close for most of us. That, that, that our bodies talk to us a whole lot more about where our next meal is going to come from physically than where our next spiritual meal is going to come from. And when you do a fast, what happens is every time you feel a hunger pang, you pray. You read Scripture. You turn your attention from that physical hunger and you give it to God. God, I need help. I feel hungry. I want to be hungry for you. Would you try that? It's a healthy discipline. It's one that realigns our cravings from physical nourishment to spiritual nourishment. See, God has an invitation that's always there. And the invitation is that His Word will nourish us. His Word is all we need. The psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The Apostle Peter reminds us that we should be nourished with spiritual milk. Isaiah, he writes, Isaiah 55, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Yes, we need physical food. God made us that way. I love eating. But that's not all I need. I, I need God's Word more than I need physical nourishment. And that's my prayer for us. That as we struggle with our cravings and our desires and we want to fill them with stuff, that we would remember that this is all we need to eat. And that if we turn that over to God, He will come alongside us and help us practice self-control. People of God said...